Today is Mother's Day, and we want to acknowledge all the women we're blessed to know. We rejoice over you for your strength, your wisdom, your strong love, and your beautiful faith. Whether today is a celebration for you or a day of quiet reflection and healing, we're thinking of all of you. If you gave birth this year to your first child, our joy overflows and we celebrate with you. If you adopted a child this year or became a foster parent, we rejoice with you and we want to honor you in your commitment to changing the lives of children. If you continue to struggle with infertility, we are hoping with you and holding your hand in prayer. If you are exhausted and feeling underappreciated for all you do for a house full of kids, we applaud you. We love you, and we appreciate you more than you can ever imagine. And if you lost a child this year to death or miscarriage, we weep and mourn with you. And if your child is lost to addiction or to the world, we hurt with you, and we join you in putting our hope in the one who brings prodigals home. If you live with painful memories of your mom, we pray that you will find in a spiritual mother all that you never had from a birth mom. And if you're one of those amazing spiritual moms, we thank you for stepping up and being there when others couldn't. If you're experiencing an empty nest for the first time this year, we walk with you in this new season and are excited about the next chapter God has planned for you. If you're single, we celebrate your strength, beauty, and individuality and join with you in praying for the desires of your heart. If you're a single mom and wonder if you have the physical energy and financial resources to raise and provide for your child or children, we want to help you, and we will. And if you're pregnant for the first time, we prayerfully anticipate with you the joyful birth of a healthy child. And to all the special women on this Mother's Day, rest and delight in knowing that we are thankful for you and we celebrate each and every one of you. Thank you for worshiping with New Grace in Roanoke, Virginia this morning. We are honored that you are tuning in and we believe that God is going to use this service in your life and the lives of many others. We are walking through a very difficult and trying time as a society. As a result of everything happening in our world today, how we gather as a church looks very different. We are all used to gathering together on our church campus, but for now, we will worship together through technology. Though this is a very different format, our desire as a church is still the same. Our desire is to worship Jesus and encourage the believer. As you watch this service today, whether by yourself or with your family, I want to encourage you to participate in this time of worship. As our team leads us, let us sing with passion. As we are led in prayer together, let's cry out to God in desperation. As Pastor Sean teaches us from the Word, let's be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as He speaks. Also, be an encouragement to our worship team by participating. Comment that you are watching. Comment on things the Holy Spirit brings to your heart. Or post a picture of you and your family worshiping together on our Facebook page. Then, thank you for joining us today as we worship the Father. We pray you are blessed and encouraged from this service today.
Your generosity is making a difference all over the world. We're able to partner with missionaries globally 
to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because of your continued financial investment. So even though we're not all gathered together physically on this campus this week, I want to challenge you to continue to honor God with your resources by giving through new grace for the sake of the mission of God. There are multiple ways you can give. You can give online at reachingroanoke.com and clicking the donate button. You can also mail your gift to 1527 Guilford Avenue, Northwest, Roanoke, Virginia, 24017. You can also text your gift using your phone to 540-572-4654. We're going to continue our service now, and one thing we believe as we seek God in prayer, we experience God in power. So right now, Pastor Sean is going to lead us at a time of scripture-fed, spirit-led prayer. 1 Peter 5, chapter 6 says this. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so very grateful this morning that you care for us. We're so thankful, God, that, Lord, you are more than just a distant, uninvolved deity. You are our Heavenly Father. God, you loved us enough to send your Son to die on a cross for our sins, to shed his blood to pay our sin debt, to rise again from the grave to redeem us to you. But, God, you've done so much more than that. God, you've invited us into your family. Lord, you are active in our lives. You are concerned with our cares. And Lord, this morning we come to you with a lot of heavy burdens. Lord, this pandemic has gone on so long that, Lord, a lot of folks are, how they're losing hope. They're, they're scared. They're worried life may never get back to normal, God. They're worried about their health. They're worried about their finances. They're worried about their families. And God, we come to you this morning casting those cares upon you. God, we do humble ourselves before you, understanding, God, that, Lord, we can do nothing without you. Lord, we can't control the situation, but we understand you are in control. Lord, we can't really do anything about what we're facing, but, Lord, we understand that you can do all things. And so, God, we come before you, humble, needy, casting our care upon you, God, trusting that, Lord, you're going to take care of us. You're going to do in and through us what you need to do for our good and for your glory. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for caring for us. Thank you so much for being involved in our lives. This morning, God, we come to you now as we open up the Word of God. And Lord, I do pray that as we study your Scripture, that your Holy Spirit would indwell each and every person listening and watching this morning. God, I know we're, we're participating, we're worshiping differently now. But we're still worshiping. We're still worshiping the Heavenly Father. We're still worshiping the, the God who cares and hears and gets involved. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to each and every heart. I pray that you would open our eyes to truth that we need to see, God, to be more like you, to be prepared to serve you and to build your kingdom when this is all over. God, I pray especially for those who are watching who are lost who do not know you as their Heavenly Father. And Lord, they may be aware of that, or Lord, they may think that they're saved. And God, I pray that you would speak to each and every lost person this morning. I pray that if they 
are lost, that you would reveal it to them and reveal the need of salvation to them. And God, help them to understand how badly they need to be saved. And Lord, help to be saved this morning before it's forever and eternally too late. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, speak through me. Lord, help me to say what needs to be said, what should be said. And help me not to say what I should not say. But Lord, help everything that's said and done bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
As Americans, we believe that we know everything there is to know about the American Revolutionary War. We learn about it in school, we read books about it, we watch movies that are made about it. But the truth is, a lot of what we believe to be true isn't true at all. It's a myth. One of the biggest myths of all time surrounding the American Revolutionary War was the eagerness of every colonist to fight and earn their freedom. A lot of people believe that when the war broke out in April of 1775, that every colonist was eager to get rid of Britain's rule. But that's far from the truth. There was a very large population of colonists that were loyal to Great Britain, that were loyal to the crown. They were called Tories. And these group of loyal colonists were made up about 16% of the colonist population, about 450,000 people in the colonies during this time remained loyal to the crown. But even those people who were eager to see their freedom, even those people who were eager to get rid of the rule of the king were not eager to fight to earn that freedom. People were so unwilling to sign up to fight for freedom that the Continental Congress had to offer incentives to get people to fight. Basically, they bribed people to fight for the freedom that they wanted. They offered money and land for any man who would sign up for a one-year enlistment. And even with those incentives, the American army struggled throughout the the war to have enough men to fight the battles and win the war and be successful. And that's another reason that the story of our independence is so incredible. Despite the overwhelming odds, despite the struggle to get people to fight for what they wanted, we still won out. The problem wasn't that people weren't wanting freedom. They wanted their freedom. They wanted to be rid of the rule of the king. They wanted to be independent, just not enough to fight themselves. Their actions spoke a lot louder than their words. As I look at Christianity today, I feel like we as believers have the same problem. We say we're concerned about the lost. We say we're concerned about holiness. We say that we're concerned about revival. We say that we're concerned about their church, but our actions say something drastically different. We say we believe in hell, but our actions don't back that up because we're unwilling to share the gospel with the lost. We watch friends and family go to hell without doing anything to warn them, to prevent that from happening. We say we believe in heaven, but we spend our lives laying up treasures on earth instead of laying up treasures in heaven. We, we say we believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation, 
That when Jesus said that no man comes to the Father but by him, we believe that to be true. We believe that the only way for someone to get to the Father is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, but our actions show that we're uncomfortable telling people about him. And the worst part is most of us realize our actions don't back up what we believe, but we're okay with that. We've grown comfortable with that. We get tired of being different from the world. We get tired of going against the grain, so we, we stop trying. We stop trying to be different. We stop trying to share the gospel. We stop trying to live holy. We have become dry. Complacency is overflowing in our churches across our country. Today, as we continue looking at the promises of God, we're going to look at an incredible promise from God about what he will do in our lives when we become complacent, when we become dry. And it's, it's found in one of the most amazing stories in the Old Testament. So go ahead and get your Bibles open to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel, chapter number 37. In Ezekiel chapter 37, this, this story that we're going to look at, it shows the problem with complacency in our Christian culture today, but it also gives an incredible promise of hope from God. And in this passage in Ezekiel 37, we, we find Ezekiel after he has told the Israelites that they had needed to be restored by God to God. See, the problem was they had forgotten about God. And they'd done that before. This wasn't a new issue in the life of Israel. But worse than just forgetting about God, they'd become comfortable in their lifestyle. They'd become comfortable in their not fellowshipping and worshiping the one true God. And again, it's a problem that creeped up in Israel's life time and time again. And it's, it's easy to read the Old Testament and see Israel in their, their kind of relationship where they draw close to God and they're worshiping God and then they grow comfortable and pretty soon they grow cold and they become dry and they forget about God and they go around their life worshiping other gods or just living for themselves and they're okay with that and God sends something to revive them. He sends an invading army. He sends a plague he sends a pandemic to them to make them see their need for him. They understand that they've forsaken him, that they've forgotten about him. So they, they confess their sins, they repent, they, they get right with God, and that relationship is restored. And they, they again live in a life that's, that's close to God, and they're worshiping him and serving him. And then they, they grow comfortable. They forget about God. They live lives for themselves, and God sends something else to get their attention. And it's easy to look at that and say, man, I can't believe they, they'd ever learned their lesson. But we do the same thing in our culture. We grow comfortable. We grow complacent. We are fine with church as it always has been. We are fine with coming to church every Sunday with the same people, worshiping the same God, singing the same songs, hearing the same messages, going out and being the same. And so God has to wake us up. That's one reason I believe we're 
in the situation we are right now. I know there's a lot of theories out there about where this pandemic came from, whether it was created in a Chinese uh, lab or the American government had something to do with it. But here's, here's the cold, hard facts. God did it. He may have used a government agency to do it. He may have used a lab to do it. But God sent this plague to get our attention, to wake us up, to help us understand we're dry, we're comfortable, we're complacent, and he doesn't want that. And so it's easy to look at Israel and kind of shame them, but we do the exact same thing in our lives. And in this, this passage, Israel had forgotten about God. In Ezekiel 36, God speaks to Ezekiel and he tells him how he feels about how Israel has become, about how comfortable they have gotten, about how complacent they've gotten. And look what he says in Ezekiel 36, 17. Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanness of a removed woman. Now, I understand right now there's a lot of kids watching. There's a lot of teenagers watching. So because of the mixed crowd, I'm not going to really get into the literal translation of what God is saying there. But let me just, let me just put it this way. God said when Israel had grown comfortable... When Israel had grown complacent, when Israel had become dry in their relationship with him, it made him sick. He was disgusted with how they were. It's a pretty powerful verse about how God feels when his children grow comfortable. When his children stop caring about what he cares about. But in verse 26 of that same chapter, God gives an incredible promise of what he wants to do in the hearts and lives of his people when they get this away. Verse chapter 36, verse 26, he says this, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. Then, so that's a great promise. God says, look, you're, you're so dry, you're so complacent, you make me sick. But I want to help you. I want to take that stony heart away. I want, to, I want to give you a new heart. I want to give you my spirit. I want to revive you in an incredible way. And then in chapter 37, God gives Ezekiel a vision of him doing exactly that. So get in your Bibles in Ezekiel 37, starting in verse number 1. Bible says, the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out of the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of dry bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in, op in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, son of son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, Thou knowest. So what we see here is God taking Ezekiel and giving him a vision. He takes him to a valley that is full of dry bones. Now, if you know anything about bones, if someone dies, it takes a long time for them to become bones. 
It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in just a little bit of time. It takes years. And so Israel had gotten this way over, a, over years. They had gotten this way over a long period of time. It wasn't something they woke up and just forgot about God. They had allowed their life to go in such a way that they became dry and eventually had been away from God so long that spiritually speaking, they became bones. And he asked Ezekiel, says, Ezekiel, can, can bones live? And Ezekiel answers correctly. He doesn't say, no, God, they're bones. He says, God, you know. You know. But let's keep going. Continue in verse number four. Again, he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you. And you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring flesh up upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them. And the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet in exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost, and we are cut off from our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and ye shall put my spirit and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. See the, the bones in this valley, they they represent the sinful and complacent nation of Israel. But they also represent the sinful and complacent children of God today. But God, he restores those dry, dead bones to a normal body. He breathes life into them again. And the result is there is an army that is eager to serve God. In this passage, we we see some similarities between the nation of Israel and modern-day Christianity. But, but more than that, we see an incredible promise that God gives us during this difficult time. So we're going to ask and answer two questions this morning. Here's the, the first question. How are we like Israel? Verse 11 gives us three ways that we are like the nation of Israel during this time. First way we are like Israel is we are dry. As a group of believers, 
We have greater access to the Word of God than any other group of believers throughout history. We have more copies of the Word of God that we can, we can have and we can read and we can study. We have the Word of God on our, our tablets and our smartphones. We, have, we can listen to the Word of God. We can hear the Word of God. We've got thousands upon thousands upon thousands of, of gospel preachers that we can listen, preach the Word of God. We've got an incredible amount of access to the Word of God, but we have neglected our relationship with God as much, if not more, than Israel did. We've neglected our relationship with God. We've neglected our time in the Word of God so much that we've forgotten the power that God has promised us. As children of God, we are to experience the power and miracles of God in and through our lives. That's normal. That's what we're supposed to experience. We are supposed to experience God's power working through us. We are supposed to see miracles of God in and through our lives. God wants to do that with us, but we've neglected our relationship. We've neglected the word so much that we've become spiritually dry and dead and God can do nothing through us. We were created to spend time with God daily. In the Garden of Eden, when God first created humanity, he created it exactly how he wanted it to be. He showed us the relationship he wanted to have with us in Genesis chapter numbers 1 and 2, when he created man and he would come down and spend time with him every single day. He would fellowship with him. He would walk with them. That's what God wants for us. Now, I know it's harder now. Look, I understand it would be so much easier if we could physically walk with God. If we could physically spend time with him and ask him questions and receive answers and let him tell us what he wants us to do. Look, that'd be great. If every morning God would come down and have a cup of coffee with me and tell me how he wants me to do and how he wants me to act and what he wants me to do that day and kind of show me some errors in my way and give me advice, man, that'd be, that'd be incredible. But he doesn't do that physically, but he still does that today. He still wants us to spend time with him. He still wants to have a cup of coffee with you. He wants you to read his word. He wants you to learn about him. He wants you to spend time with him in prayer. Look, in our prayer time, we just looked at 1 Peter where, where God says, cast in all your care upon him because he cares for you. God wants us to, to come before him and give him our cares and talk to him about what we're doing and what we're facing and what we're going through. But we've neglected it. And we're dry. We're created to spend time with him, but that's not how most of us live our lives. Most of us, the only time we even think about God is Sunday morning when we come to church. We acknowledge him at church one day a week. We don't know who God is anymore because we don't make time for him. We don't spend time with him. We don't spend time in his word listening to what he wants to say to us. We don't spend time talking to God throughout the day. We don't seek after him. We don't long to know who he is. And we have all kinds of excuses as to why we don't. We're too busy. We work too much. We don't know where to start. 
But the truth is, most of us don't involve God in our lives because we don't want to change. We don't want him to show us where we're making mistakes. We don't want him to point out sin in our life and convict us so we have to change it. We don't want him to teach us how to treat our wives and our husbands and our kids and how to be a good employee. We don't want him to show us how he wants us to live because then we have to change. We don't want to give up anything. God has shown me in the last several weeks that if we don't take time to invest in him and our relationship with him every single day, multiple times throughout the day, then we're going to stay dry. We're going to stay complacent. We're going to stay dead. If we're going to experience the revival that I know God wants to send in our lives, in our churches, and in our world, then we have to spend time with him, but we're dry. Just like Israel, we're dry. But there's another way we're like Israel. We are hopeless. There is a lot of hopelessness in our society, especially now with everything going on, with all we're facing People are beginning to feel hopeless. As, as people talk about recovery from this pandemic, they're not talking in terms of weeks or months. They're talking in terms of years. I read an article a couple weeks ago by a, a Christian pastor who was talking about how long it's going to take for the American church to fully recover from this. And he said it's up to two years before churches will experience what they experienced even before the pandemic. He goes, when the, when the church is open, people aren't going to flock to it like we hope they would. Some people will. He believes the lost will. But he goes, the church people are going to stay away. They're scared. They're worried. They're comfortable worshiping at home. So it's going to take two years, he says, before we even reach capacity at what we were before the pandemic. He goes, don't expect any big days. Don't expect any, you know, pack of pews. It's going to be two years before we recover. That's a pretty hopeless outlook in life. Even our economy, they're talking years before our economy recovers to the point there where it was before the pandemic started. That's, that's a pretty hopeless outlook. We are facing a time in our society like we never have before, and people are losing hope. And it causes us to question things, to wonder if God even cares about what we're going through, if God's even concerned about us at all. But as children of the King, as children of God, as believers in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are never hopeless. It, it may be hard. It may be dry. But we always have hope. Look at what God says in verses 4 again. Again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live. There is hope in our relationship with God. But because we are so dry, we feel hopeless. But God gave life 
to these dry bones. He forgave their sin. He removed their dryness. He breathed life back into them. And he made them an incredible army. To God, you are important. You are cherished. You have value. You have so much value that God wants to make you a part of his army. God doesn't look at those dry bones and say, well, forget it. I tried, but they're dry. There's no hope for them. God says, no, they may be dry. They may be dead, but I love them so much. I care about them so much that I'm going to do what only I can do. I'm going to breathe life back into them. I'm going to restore them to a place of relationship and fellowship with me. And I'm going to use them again. We are not hopeless. There is hope in the cross. There is hope in our heavenly father. There is hope in your relationship with him. But there's a third way that we are like these bones. We are separated. God has made us into a vast army, but we don't act like it. We neglect people from God's family. We separate ourselves by not going to church and being a part of his, his body. And look, I understand right now, you're sitting at home, you're watching this on your TV or your tablet or your phone, and you're thinking, well, I can't go to church right now. I have to be separated. I know it's easy to be separated now. But a lot of us, we continue to separate ourselves from the family of God even before we had a decent excuse. Even before we could use the quarantine as an excuse as to why not to worship with God's family. And look, we can still worship with God's family. We're doing that now. I know it's different. I know we're not all together as a church family, but you're with your family. You're with your people in your house. You can still worship God. Here's the thing. A lot of you, you've got the TV on. You're streaming it from your YouTube app or your Facebook app and you're watching it, but you're on your phone doing something else. Hey, pay attention and worship with God. But we don't do that. I'm, in, I'm logged on. They see that I'm here watching, but I'm not really paying attention. I'm doing everything else besides worshiping God. I know some of you are doing that. How, say, how do you know that? Because I find myself doing that. Look, it's hard for me to worship together with y'all because I'm listening to myself preach. You know how hard that is? You know how weird that is to listen to yourself preach? When you've already, you've already studied it, you, I, I know what I'm going to say. I know what jokes I'm going to say. I know what I'm going to have to edit out because it's, it's wrong or stupid. I know that. And so it's easy to say, well, let me get involved in something else. Let me focus on something else. Let me get up now and go get a cup of coffee. You know what? I, I wouldn't get up and get a good... If I, was, if I was a church member in church watching, you know, listening to a service in person, I would never get up in the middle of a sermon and go get a cup of coffee. But how many of y'all have done that during this, this worship service? You're still separated. You're still like, well, I'll just, I'll turn it on and have it on in the background. That's not worshiping with your family. And I know that. But the thing is, even when we're together and there's no pandemic and there's no quarantine, we still make excuses why we, we can't come to church. We found any reason not to meet with God's people at God's house. I got to work. Look, I know some of you got to work on Sundays. I understand that. But you shouldn't. 
The Muslims don't. The Seventh-day Adventists don't worship on Saturday. So how come God's people allow their employer to make them work on Sunday? It's religious freedom. We have it in America, but we... I got to work, preacher. Gotta, or I worked so hard this week. I'm just tired. I need, some, I need a day of rest. God says, don't forget to say, God says we need rest. I need to, I work too hard. I need rest. Or, you know what? I've, my kids have got sports going on this weekend, and I've got I've to help them. Look, you know, Lexi, she does gymnastics, and she's pretty good at it. They, they've invited her to be a part of the, the competition league in gymnastics where they, they travel around to different cities and different states and compete against different gyms. And, and they asked her to be a part, and, you know, I told her no. You know, she couldn't do that. And she asked, well, why is it too expensive? And, look, it's expensive, but that's not the reason. The reason is they travel every Saturday and Sunday. They compete every Saturday and Sunday. And look, obviously, I'm the pastor. I can't go every Saturday and Sunday to some city in Virginia or across the eastern seaboard to watch her compete. But if I wasn't the pastor, if I was just a church member, which I am a church member, but if I was just, just a regular church member, I still wouldn't do it. Because Sunday is when I worship with God's family. But a lot of you, that's an excuse. Well, my kids got baseball, my kids got soccer, my kids got gym, my kids got this, my kids got that. And we use any excuse possible to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I feel sick. And look, if you're sick, stay home. But a lot of you, you don't come to church because you got the sniffles, but you go to work with the flu. Or here's, it snowed. Some of y'all, if it snowed six feet, you would find a way to get to work. But if it snows half an inch, you can't get out of your house to come to church. We're separated. We have separated ourselves from worshiping with God's family. We have actively separated from the church and actively separated from God's family. And then we blame the church or we blame God for the fact that we feel dry and hopeless. We don't act together the way that Christians should. In the book of Acts, the church was more than just a meeting place for people to come to every week. It was an active force in the community. It changed the culture of the world that it lived in. They made an impact. They helped the poor. They helped each other. They willingly and eagerly gave of their time and their finances and their resources to make an impact on the culture and make an impact on eternity. But God's children today, we don't want to give up our time. Our time is precious. We really don't want to give up our money. We need that. We don't give up anything for the church. We don't give up anything for the cause of Christ. We are separated from each other. The body of Christ is not working together. We, we have our own interests. We have our own agendas. We have what is important to us. And the body of Christ has been cut into little pieces and we are sitting content where we are. It's like we have the ear over there doing one thing, the toes over there doing another thing. We've got the thumb back in the back doing its own thing and we're not working together. And this, this isn't just an issue in the local church. This is an issue in the church of God as a whole. We work against each other. 
Churches are competing for believers to come to our church when we should be working together to get the lost to go to any church. How many Christians in your school do you talk to and, and spend time with and maybe do a, a Bible study with? How many, how many believers at your workplace do you know about that you pray with? Oh, they go to a different church. So if they worship the same God, your brothers and sisters in Christ. God wants us to act together. We are the body of Christ, and he has made us into a vast army for his kingdom, not ours. If we break apart, if we do our own thing, we are never going to fulfill the mission of God. God never intended us to go on solo missions. I mean, even in the book of Matthew, when he sent his disciples out, he sent them out two by two. We need other believers to fellowship with, to serve with, to pray with, to praise God with at our own church and in our lives. We shouldn't just be praying for revival at our church. We should be praying for revival at every gospel preaching church in Roanoke. I don't want revival just at New Grace only. I want Shenandoah to see revival. I want Lakeside to see revival. I want community to see revival. I want fellowship to see revival. I want every church that preaches the gospel and serves God in our community to experience revival like never before and have a, an incredible revival in Roanoke that sees hundreds of thousands of people saved because we're the body of Christ and we're to work together. We are not competing with other churches. We are partners with them. We are in the same army fighting the same enemy. We, as a family of God, have a problem. It's the same problem that Israel faced Many times, we're dry. We neglect our time with God, then wonder why we don't have joy. Then wonder why we feel hopeless, why we don't feel him move, why we don't hear him talk. We feel like we're hopeless, and because we're dry, we think there's no hope for us, and, and we're separated. We distance ourselves from God's family and from God's work. That's the bad news. What's the good news? Well, that brings us to our second question. What's the promise? Look again at Ezekiel chapter 37. Look at verse number 12. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. And ye shall put and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place in your, you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I am the Lord. I have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. Yes, Israel was dry. Yes, they felt they were hopeless. Yes, they were separated. But God gave them an incredible promise. God promises us that he, when we get this way, he will give us life again. He will restore us. He will revive us. Look at this promise again. He says, he will open up the graves. He will bring us to the land that he promised. He will give us his spirit. We are not hopeless. There is hope for us as his children. Hope that God will revive us. Hope that God will use us for his glory. That's why I believe we're in this situation in the first place. God has brought us to a place where we can see how desperate we are, where we can see that we're dry, where we think 
we have no hope, where we are separated and longing for something different. And he brought us here so we see our need for him to do what only he can do, breathe life back into us, breathe life back into his church. But there's, there's something we need to do. We don't need to just say, oh, we're hopeless. God will come through. No, God gives us a command to receive this promise. Look at verse 4 again. And he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones, say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. The word hear there is the Hebrew word shama. It means to hear, listen, and obey. It's more than listening to a message. It's more than just reading the Bible to say you read the Bible. It is hearing God speak, understanding what God's saying, and obeying what God says. It's obeying God when he says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, and being faithful to his house, being faithful to these messages, paying attention and listening to the word of God and receiving the word of God, participating in our prayer times, participating in our, in our Bible studies. It is being faithful to everything the church does to worship God. It's obeying when God says we can't survive without his word and making time, not just to read it, so say we read it, but to study it, to memorize it, to meditate on it. It is obeying God when God says that he is holy, so we should be holy. And when he points out sin in our lives, being eager to confess it and forsake it and live for him, no matter what it is, no matter how much we enjoy it. It's obeying God when he says that we rob him by holding on to our tithes and offerings and building our kingdom instead of giving to his kingdom. God says, when we hear his word and obey his word, he will give us his spirit. He will give us his heart. He will breathe life into us again, and he will give us revival. God is calling us to look at our lives and look at our relationship with him. Is your relationship with God dry this morning? Does it seem hopeless? Do you feel separated from God and his family? We, as God's children, have to make a choice to involve God in our lives and be involved in his kingdom. We have to make a decision to hear and obey his word, to allow him to do in and through us what only he can do revive us. We have to come together as the body of Christ, as the vast army that God has risen up to make an impact on our world together. We have to allow God to revive our hearts. But maybe you're listening this morning and you are hopeless because you don't have a relationship with God. God is wanting to have a relationship with you, to have fellowship with you. And the good news is God has made a way. As I've said before, this, this Bible is the God-breathed word to man. 
But this entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the story of God's incredible love for you and His plan to restore you to relationship with Him. See, to, to have a relationship with God, there's just a few things you got to understand. you got to understand that you are a sinner. The Bible says we all are. For all have sinned. That all includes me. It includes you. It includes everyone listening and everyone in the world. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You have to understand that your sin has a price. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And that word death, it doesn't mean just your body stops operating, your brain goes silent, and you just fall out into the ethos with no uh, consciousness. That word death is found in Revelation as well, where it says death and hell, or cast in a lake of fire. This is the second death. Spiritual, the penalty for our sin is death and separation from God in a real place called hell. You have to understand that there's nothing you can do to to stop that. That's what the whole Old Testament was. The Old Testament with the laws and the sacrifices was God showing us that there's nothing we can do to get away from that punishment, to get away from that penalty. We've earned it. We deserve it. And there's nothing we can do to stop it. We have to understand that because God loves us so much and because He saw how terrible and how hopeless we were, He came down as Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He did what we could never do. He completely fulfilled the law. He died a death in your place. He shed his blood for your sins. The Bible says, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That word remission means forgiveness. Without a perfect sacrifice, we could never be forgiven. So Jesus came as God in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died as that perfect sacrifice, was buried and rose again three days later to reconcile us to God the Father. The Bible says that he commended his love, he showed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All you have to do is know you're a sinner, sinners go to hell, you can't get out of it, but Jesus died for you. You got to know those things, believe those things, and put your faith in those things. And God says when you do that, you become a child of God. Look, salvation is easy. Jesus buying our, our salvation was very hard, was very difficult. But us getting saved is very easy. You don't got to join the church, though God wants you to after you're saved. You don't have to be baptized to be saved, but God wants you to be baptized after you're saved. You don't have to do anything except believe and accept. If you're listening this morning, if you're watching this morning, you've never done that. I implore you today, the Holy Spirit speaking in your heart, telling you you need to do that. Accept Him as your Savior this morning. Don't close this video out and go about your, your everyday thinking you'll do it later. We're not promised tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, do it this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for this incredible promise you've given us. Lord, first of all, in my own life and for our church, I want to, Lord, I want to confess our dryness, our complacency. Lord, I want to confess that, Lord, we've allowed ourselves to get to a position where we just go through the motions and don't really consider spending time with you. Lord, I know I've done it in my life, and I know people in our church have. God, and I confess my sin of that. But Lord, I also thank you that you've promised that if we hear and obey your word, 
You won't leave us that way. You won't leave us in that valley of dry bones. You'll restore us. You'll bring us back together. You'll give us your heart, your spirit, and a new life to serve you. God, I pray that each and every one of us this morning would understand how badly we are in need of you, how desperate we are to be revived. God, thank you so much for what you're going to do. Lord, also pray for those watching that aren't saved. I pray, God, that you would convict their heart right now. Help them understand their need of you and help them to be saved this morning. As believers continue to pray, I want to speak to those who may not be saved. If you're, you're watching this morning, you're listening this morning, and you do not know God as your Savior, I'm going to, and you want to, you understand you're a sinner. You understand sin's going to send you to hell. You understand you had no hope in your own power, but Jesus did for you what you could not do. He came, he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross, he was buried and rose again to redeem you and pay your sin debt. If you believe that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. There's no power in the prayer. It's just you acknowledging what you believe to be true. So I'll pray. You pray this in your heart. Pray this out loud. Just, just this is a prayer to acknowledge to God that you're accepting him as your Savior. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the love that you've shown me throughout Scripture. Lord, I know that I am a sinner. Lord, I know that my sin will condemn me to hell separated you from all of eternity. God, I know that there's nothing I can do to pay that sin debt. But Lord, I also know that you love me so much. You came for me. You lived a perfect life. You died and shed your blood in my place. You were buried and rose three days later to redeem me to God. Lord, I know and I believe you did that. And Lord, I accept your death burial and resurrection as total payment for my sin. Thank you, God, for doing for me what I could not do. Thank you for being my Savior and adopting me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're watching and listening, you said that prayer. We're so excited for you. We want to rejoice with you. We want to help you because you have just now entered into a new relationship and we want to help you on that journey. So I'm going to put some information on the screen. This is just my personal contact information, my personal email, my personal cell phone. You can email me. You can call or text me. And I just want to rejoice with you. And then I want to help you find a church you can go. Maybe it's our church. Maybe it's another church. I don't, we're just, I'll send you to any church that, that's a gospel preaching church. But just call me, text me, email me. Let me rejoice with you and let me help you in your next step. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. I'm so glad that even though we're, we're, we're separated, we can still worship together. My prayer is that when we are able to meet together again, we're not still a bunch of dry bones, but we are a new, vast army with God's spirit and God's breath, willing to, ready, to, ready and willing to do God's work. If you're able to, we'll be at the church this evening at 6 p.m., we're just going to pray for revival in our church and in churches across the, the, the city. So if you're able to, you can meet here. You can stay in your car. You can walk around. You can find a quiet place separate from people in the church and just, just pray. If you're able to join us, we'd love to have you. But once again, thanks for worshiping with us. Have a blessed day.